0: I love Kerbensville Alliance Church. Uh, I just love being with you. I love uh, hearing Eric pray. I love hearing you sing. I love talking to you. Uh, it's a beautiful place to be. It's just good to be together. Uh, you know, there, there's that passage of Scripture that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I think that's part of the reason. And we love those of you that are joining us online. You're much, much loved and part of our family here as well. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 6. There is a Bible app event for this message, so you can follow along that way. I do want to say that that lion there happens to be one that is in the Albuquerque Zoo. I happen to have an expensive camera, so I took his picture. And uh just after that, he jumped at me, and that's why I have these scars on my face. Uh, isn't that beautiful, though? And when you look at him, don't you wish you could just lay down, kind of with him, and nuzzle your nose right into his his mane? There, wouldn't that? Yeah, wouldn't that be that'd be fun for as long as it would last? Right. <laughs> yeah. We've been discussing some famous Bible stories over the past several weeks, and uh, they've been a lot of fun. They've been very informative to me. I feel like God has used them in ways that I didn't expect. And today we're going to be looking at a classic Bible story. It's the story of Daniel in the Lion's Den, and it's going to be in Daniel again, chapter six. Is where we're going to be reading, or you can follow the Bible app, event, text for this as well. If you happen to hop into your car right now, and you drive for about 26 minutes in the right direction, making the right turns, you can find yourself on PA-255. And at about that 26-minute mark, you're going to be two miles north of Penfield. And if you're watching, you're going to see one of those historical markers along the side of the road. Anyone know which one I'm talking about? I am the only one who would... Oh. Yeah, George. Way to go, George. Yeah. So the historical marker that's there, it reads like this. It says, Philip P. Bliss, the great singing evangelist and gospel songwriter, was born July 9th, 1838, in a log house, which stood a little distance from here. He lived and worked on a farm and in nearby lumber camps until the age of 16. Philip P. Bliss He died at a young age. He was in his 30 when he passed away. He was known for a number of classic Christian songs. In fact, one of the websites that I read about him, and it wasn't his own, (laughs) it was somebody else writing about Christian music, said that um, he probably is the most popular Christian songwriter, the second, I'm sorry, the second most popular Christian songwriter in history. And he was born 26 minutes from here. It was longer than that in 1838 because you weren't driving that cute little Honda Sonata that you have or whatever you're driving, you know, Honda Sonata. You're driving horses and buggies back in those days, right? Yeah. One of the songs that Bliss wrote, which honestly, um, this song isn't uh, captivating in its melody or its lyrics, but one of the songs he wrote is about Daniel. Anyone have a guess as to what that song is? <laughs> Dare to be a Daniel is the name of it. And again, the, the melody is not appealing. We sang it in the first sentence, uh, service and it was, it was a labor of love to get through it. And, uh, and the lyrics aren't that fantastic, uh, when you're reading them to, to my ears anyway. It's not like amazing grace or and can it be that I should gain or something like that. But, but the spirit of it is what is lasting. The refrain says, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Yeah, the melody, the lyrics, not that hot. But that idea, you can be a Daniel, do it, do it, that's a powerful idea. If you know the story of Daniel, you know that Philip Bliss is setting forth quite a challenge there. Uh, Daniel was an extraordinary man. He really stands out among almost everyone else in the Old Testament. All the scripture, (laughs) In all the scripture, there are only a few mere humans that the scripture doesn't detail some of their foibles, some of their weaknesses, some of their sin. I mean, think about it. Think of the Bible stories we've just done over the past few months. Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Samson, David. All of those individuals... (laughs) They have their faults. And scripture details those faults in living color. I am so glad such a detail of my life isn't exposed as is theirs. But Daniel, the Bible doesn't say one bad thing about this guy. He's quite impeccable. So when, when Bliss says, dare to be a Daniel, he's laying down a pretty bold challenge. But I want to suggest something to you. And it might seem a little crazy to you. I want to suggest That if you are a Christ follower, there is a Daniel inside of you. Let me say it again. If you are a Christ follower, there is a Daniel inside of you. Now we're going to read all of chapter 6. And what I'd like to show you here is what a Daniel (laughs) looks like. And so I hope your Bibles are open. Follow along as I read. The first thing you're going to notice is Daniel is kind of a good person to have around. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel was so distinguished, he so distinguished himself among the administrators that the satraps, I'm sorry, and the satraps, by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. Daniel was an asset. He worked hard. He performed well for the king, the king who, by the way, held him captive, almost as a slave. There was a reason that Daniel behaved this way. And part of the reason was he was almost certainly familiar with what God had said through the prophet Jeremiah concerning those who would be taken captive and who would go to Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, God's speaking to them, and he says also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So Daniel, he's been an asset to a nation that kidnapped him and holds him in captivity. If you were the king, Daniel's a great man. I'm glad I have him around. If you were a citizen even, you might not know Daniel by name, but you might say to yourself, this is kind of a season of prosperity we're having here. Whoever's up at the top is doing a pretty good job. But you can imagine. If you happen to be one of those satraps, if you happen to be an administrator in the kingdom, you might not feel the same way about this Daniel guy. I mean, think about how you would regard a stranger, an outsider being placed in leadership. Leadership that you felt that you deserved. And so Daniel's peers try to unseat him. But they can't. And the reason they can't is because what does a Daniel look like? Well Daniel is above reproach. Let's pick up the story in verse four. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis of charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has to do with the law. It has something to do with the law of his God. So have you ever seen different political groups attacking one another? I don't imagine you ever have, right? No. No. You've probably never seen political group A trying to unseat political group B, right? Oh, wow. You'd have to live under a rock not to see that, right? And while you may think, well, this is an invention of the two-party system, or you may think this is something that's come about because of the cable news system in our nation, or you may think this is all to blame because of social media, I'm going to tell you, this has been around for thousands of years. It happened with Jesus. Jesus. They looked for a way to discredit him again and again. And centuries before that, it happened to Daniel. They're looking for a way to discredit him. But Daniel lives his life well. They can't find anything about him. Unless maybe they could find something about the law of his God. And in that regard, even though he's above reproach, Daniel is still at risk. And those jealous peers are bent on destroying him. Look at verse 6. So these administrators and satraps one as a group to the king. May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed. No, they haven't. Daniel wasn't consulted on that let's continue though, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now let me take just a moment and note something here. Daniel's going to be persecuted. He's being persecuted. But he is not persecuted or hated because he kind of tells it like it is. Daniel is not the guy I saw at a Florida seaside town standing outside an ice cream shop screaming at the retirees and myself who were walking out of there about hell. Daniel isn't hated because he's telling them the truth. Daniel's hated because he's a blessing. Do you hear that? He's hated because of his goodness. Babylon had prospered well under Daniel, and now the Medes are doing well with Daniel in command, and the people are doing well. Even those who are working to overthrow him owe him a debt of gratitude because they are blessed by his wisdom, but they're jealous, and they hate his goodness. They hate the blessing that he's bringing. But Daniel keeps his head. Daniel is calmly committed to God throughout this. He doesn't get on social media and expose those scoundrels. He doesn't uh, start a boycott against the means. He doesn't go to change.org and see what he can do about the Persians. He doesn't uh, try to get Darius canceled. Daniel just does what Daniel does. Look at it in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Look what he's praying. Giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And as you expect, he's busted. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles, one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Now, the next verses really reveal, the next verse really reveals the king's feelings concerning Daniel. He sees Daniel as an asset. He sees Daniel as one he values. There's even a fondness that he has toward Daniel. Look at verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. You got to know what he's doing there is he's trying to figure out how to jump through some legal hoops in order to undo the law, of the Medes, and the Persians. But the reason he can't undo that is because he's the one who said it, and whenever he spoke, he had to speak and keep his word because he felt like he got his words right from their gods. And if he undoes it, then people are like, Oh wait, I thought you had a main line to the gods. You don't have that? So he can't undo it. He's trying right up until sundown to save him, but he's trapped. Look at verse 15. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law, of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And in the midst of it all, it seems pretty hopeless. It really does at sundown on that evening. But what does a Daniel look like? A Daniel is actually an agent of hope in very strange times. Darius makes a statement in the following verses that If he didn't know Daniel, it'd be just unthinkable. You would never think he would say something like this. Verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Okay, there it is. Daniel, a pagan king, hopes against hope. I'm sorry, I said Daniel and I meant Darius, didn't I? Start that again. Darius, a pagan king, hopes against hope that the God of Daniel will rescue Daniel. That's unexpected. That sentence, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you is so unexpected that one of the commentators I read said, maybe he's being sarcastic. I don't, think the, I don't think the king's being sarcastic. I think that he's saying something, though, that's just unimaginable. How ridiculous is it that, <laughs> that someone would survive a night in a den of lions? But Daniel lived a life that brought hope to this king, who seemed to be losing the best advisor he'd ever had. What's a Daniel look like? Daniel looks like someone who is loved. He is loved by the people he serves. Although Daniel is hated by the people who are jealous of him, the people he serves love him. Such was the case with Nebuchadnezzar. Such was the case with Darius. They loved him. I mean, look at the king's behavior that night in verse 18, where it says, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Now, you can be sure. He's concerned that he's losing a good technical man here, a good administrator. But it's more than that. I say that it's more than rats. He was really good at leading. I say that there was a bond there because of the adjective used of the king's voice when he goes the next morning to check on Daniel. It's in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Did you hear the verb? I'm sorry, the adjective? An anguished voice. It means what it says. He's grieved. He's pained. Daniel Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Think of someone that you work with or that in the past you have worked with, and you really valued them. Maybe they worked for you. Maybe they worked beside you. Maybe they were your supervisor. And you really appreciated them. They were the person that on Monday morning when you were on your way to work, just knowing they were going to be there made it a little easier to go. They were that person who did their part without complaining all the time and even helped you do your part. You know, that person at work, maybe who at the end of your shift you're glad that you were with them, and now think of losing them. That's what the king is experiencing. Daniel is loved. And although death seems to be a pretty sure thing, Daniel's protected because God loves him. Verse 21 says. Daniel answered and made the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. And then something sad happens. Something sad happens in verse 24. Verse 24. Look at it. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. That verse is a little troubling, isn't it? I think it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be troubling. Because that verse shows you several things. Things like justice can be brutal. Shows you that being connected with evil is a dangerous thing. Shows you that often evil comes to a violent end. Oh, and it shows you something else. It shows you those lions were hungry. (laughs) Right? If that verse hadn't been in there, one might say, well, you know, they probably weren't hungry. Probably that's what Darius did that night when he was trying to see how he could save Daniel. Just feed them. Let's feed those lions up real good so they won't eat Daniel. Yeah. They were hungry. They were so hungry they started eating before the people hit the floor. The only explanation of why Daniel was not eaten by the lions is that God sent his angel who closed the mouth of the lions. The story winds down and you see that Daniel is an influencer. Isn't that a trendy word? <laughs> He's not influencing people on what shoes to buy or how to cut their hair or what music to listen to. Daniel's an influencer before their social media. He's an influencer in a foreign land. His impeachable character is well known. And God's fame is proclaimed because of Daniel. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, what a story, huh? That is just a great story. Is that all it is? Or think back to what the song said, Dare to be a Daniel. Think back to what Pastor Steve said, there's a Daniel inside of you. If you are a Christ follower, you have Daniel potential. You can choose to be like Daniel. You can be a person who's kind of good to be around, <laughs> an asset. When I worked, uh, before I went into ministry, I worked at National Fuel Gas, and I worked at Hanley Brick Plant in Somerville, and I worked at Humphrey Charcoal. You hear that and you think, good night, you couldn't keep a job, could you, Pastor Steve? <laughs> they were summer jobs, you know, uh, going to college, come home for the summer and work those kinds of jobs. Uh, something that always stood out to me is I was always amazed that each of those businesses had certain employees who were there for the express purpose of doing absolutely nothing at all. You know those guys? I don't want to do anything at all. And, and they did what my mother often accused me of doing when I was younger. You work harder at trying to get out of a job than if you would just do the job, Steve, right? <laughs> And when I was assigned to work with one of those guys, I knew I am in for a long, long day. Daniel wasn't a one of those guys. Daniel was an asset. Daniel did what God told the exiles to do. He sought the peace and prosperity of the city that he'd been carried off to in exile. And he prayed for it because he knew if it prospers, so will I. As you come to the Lord's Supper today, is that what you're doing? not just at the place you work, but in the relationships you have and in your family and your church family and your neighborhood and all the different places you find yourself interacting with people, do you dare to be a Daniel, a person that's good to have around? You can, you know. You can be a person who's handy to have around. You can be a person who's building a good reputation, who has a good reputation. What does that mean? Trustworthy, honest, caring, Marked by integrity, peaceful, encouraging, helpful. I had a buddy who kind of felt like he had a bad reputation in his workplace. And when he got serious about his walk with Christ, he'd been a Christian, but he hadn't been living it very well in his mind. When he got serious about his walk with Christ, he's speaking to me and he said, Pastor Steve, I feel like I have such a bad reputation at work that I probably should quit and find a new job to get a new start. And I understood what he meant. But I've often had this thought. (laughs) If you change your behavior, think what a strong statement that would be concerning Christ in the place you are now. Whether it's your job or your family or the club you're part of or just you and your buddies, you and your girlfriends. What if in the midst of that, you built a better reputation. As you come to the Lord's Supper, you're going to be holding the bread and a cup in your hand, and I'll probably point at Laurel and say, play a little song, Laurel. You'll have that moment to examine yourself and say, is there something that needs adjusted, God, in my reputation? How can I do that? Help me do that. Dare to be a Daniel. Daniel's life demonstrates that you can thrive even when life is very difficult, even when it's very hard. You see it again and again in our Bible stories. If you've been with us over the past few months, just think back to any of the Bible stories and you'll see people thriving when it was very difficult. You see Noah thriving in a flood. You see Joseph thriving when his brothers sell him into slavery and he finds himself in Egypt and he's thriving there. You see, Samson, he has his hair cut and his eyes plucked out, and he's standing between these two beans and he's thriving. Lord, give me revenge on these Philistines for my eyes. Wow. I just got goosebumps just for a second there saying that. He's thriving. Daniel's thriving in exile. And you can thrive even when you're at risk. Because, and here's why, because the essential element in thriving is faith. And when I say faith, I'm not talking about just believe hard enough, believe hard enough and you're going to make it. I'm not talking about coaxing yourself into that. I'm talking about just trusting, just trusting God. And even when life is hard and even when it's difficult and even when you don't understand it, just saying, I don't get it, but I trust you, God. If nothing else speaks to you, about the trustworthiness of God, this bread and this cup really ought to because this bread represents his body given for you. This cup represents his blood poured out for the remission of your sins. And whatever you're going through, even when life's hard, you can trust him. And when you trust him, when you go to your upper chambers and open your windows and bow in prayer in whatever fashion God has, has given you to do that, then you can thrive, even when life's hard. You can dare to be a Daniel. You can be an agent of hope. The only reason, the only reason Darius had hope of seeing Daniel again was Daniel. Daniel. What he'd seen in Daniel in the past. Hope came from that testimony. I want to tell you, we live in a world where people need hope. We live in a world where darkness masquerades as though it is the victor. Darkness is not the victor. Christ is the victor. Always. 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 Not just cosmically, like, yeah, I know at the end of time he's going to come and vanquish Satan. He is the victor always, even when he died on a cross. It was a victory. He's never failed. Never. The old Latin phrase from the old church was, Christus victor. The one who is victorious. Daniel lived a life that showed that goodness can win and In the end, goodness does win. And you can bring hope your way. You can bring hope by the way that you live your life as you prepare for the Lord's Supper. Dare to be a Daniel. You can live hope, bring hope. Wow, that was a bad sentence. I just realized it's not all going to fit on that screen because the font changed on me. I don't know if I can finish my sermon. (laughs) Number five, you can live securely because you trust God. Because you're loved by God, that makes you lovable. Because if you know you're loved by God, then you can be the one who chooses to be kind. And if you know you're loved by God, then you can be the one who doesn't have to be defensive. If you know you're loved by God, then you don't have to be petty about petty things. If you know you're loved by God, then you can be the one who replies to an insult with grace. You can be the one Who is the bigger man? You can be the better woman. Communion reminds you of the love of God and the security you have in Christ. And I know you can't see it on the bottom of the screen there. (laughs) Anyone want to guess what it is? You can be an influencer. These points are parallel to the previous points. When you live well, producing the fruit of the Spirit, you influence others. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's what comes when you spend time in prayer with God and in his word, and you are intentional about the way you live, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your life, and you influence for the kingdom. Hmm. These elements... Right here, the bread and the cup. They tell me that I can dare to be a Daniel. I say that because what made Daniel a Daniel was a knowledge of the God he served. In his mind, he had a knowledge that God loved him. And in your mind, this bread and this cup, and in your heart, this bread, this cup, should give you a profound sense of the reality that God loves you. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. His love shown to you in the body and blood of Christ. And it turns your heart to love him back. Wow, if he did that for me, I want to be a Daniel. I want to be my own version, his own version of Daniel. I want to pray that you could be that as well. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. And before we take the Lord's Supper, we'll pray together. Let's bow our hearts. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your great love for us. We are thankful for people like Daniel who show us what it means to follow you in kind of dramatic and amazing ways. And sometimes we get in our head that unless we're, you know, one of the administrators over the satraps, it doesn't really matter. You can be in a nursing home walking down the the hallway and stopping in and praying with someone and be a Daniel. (laughs) We want to be Daniels. We want to carry out these kinds of things that we've just talked about in Daniel's life. Help us by the presence of your Holy Spirit living in us to do that. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated if you'd like to. So Lord Jesus, you could advance that slide. What happens if you do that? Look at that, that's nice. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he took the cup and he said, this is my body, this is my blood. The Apostle Paul later is writing about that incident. And he notices some problems in the church that they need to iron out. He talks to them about doing that. And along the way, he kind of has this phrase where he says that one should examine oneself before you eat the bread or drink of the cup. And that's probably, for a couple thousand years, been a tradition in churches. That at communion, we take this time to just kind of look into our own hearts and say, God, are there things regarding my reputation? Are there things regarding my presence at work and my family? Are there things regarding me that need to change? Show me what those are. And so I want to ask Laurel if she would play uh, some music quietly. I want to give you just a few moments to look into your own heart, to examine your heart before God. And to speak to him. And if you see, if he says to you, yeah, this is a problem, then say, I see it. I confess it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So take this moment just to do some business, some housekeeping with God. Ask one of the elders, uh, I believe Eric has the mic, uh, to pray a prayer of thanks for the bread and then we'll take it together in unison. Eric?
1: Lord, thank you for the opportunity to honor you with the symbolism of your body. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient, we would recognize the sacrifice that you made, that we would look at ourselves. In a, in a way that. We could improve, or change. To better serve and glorify you. In the way we speak, walk, and talk. Lord, I ask that you would. Glorify your name through us. Thank you you for your, your sacrifice, and your body. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. With a sense of humble joy, deep appreciation, and profound gratitude, let us take together the body of Christ. The scripture says that afterward he took the cup, and you know that the scripture says this is a New Testament in my blood, the new agreement between you and me. Written in blood. <laughs> I, I said in the early service, I remember when I was in like kindergarten or first grade, my cousin and I decided we were going to become blood brothers. We were in the playground at school. We found a piece of glass. We were both going to slice our hands and put them together because I think we saw the Lone Ranger and Tonto doing something like that. And then my cousin, such a, such a wimp, He looks at me and he says, what if we get an infection? I said, oh yeah, that'd be bad. So we both stopped because I was as big a wimp as him. (laughs) Probably good that we stopped. Don't advise you to do that, those of you that are listening here. I think of that though and I think, why blood? Why did first graders, kindergartners think that at Somerville Elementary School? Why did Lone Ranger and Tonto or whoever it was we saw on television think that? Why do people think that? It's because blood is that which we know represents life, period. And the way we know that is through mere science and and through the scripture. The blood is in the life. The life is in the blood. I'm going to ask Brandon if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ, and then we'll take it together.
1: Lord, we just thank you for the sacrifice you made for us, Father. We know that, that we don't deserve it, Lord, and that that you didn't have to do it, Father, but you did. And I just thank you for the, the shedding of your blood and the life that it gives us, that it represents, Father. So again, I just thank you for who you are, Father, for what you do and what you're doing in this church and this family, Father. Just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. So let's try that again with a sense of appreciation, with a knowledge of his presence, with an awareness that there is a Daniel inside of you. Would you join me as we take the blood of Christ? This uh, song that we're closing with is one of my very favorites. I wonder, are all the verses here, do you know? If I quit singing, just quit singing because there's one verse here that sometimes I just can't sing it. I just love it so much. Um, let's stand together and we'll sing this together. Before the throne of God above have a strong and perfect plea, a great